0: Welcome to the Replay Value Podcast, where we deep dive into the movies we all love to watch over and over again. I'm Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren.
1: What's up, bro? In this episode, we're going to talk about the romantic comedy drama sports classic, Cameron Crowe's Jerry Maguire. A successful sports agent's life is changed forever when he's fired after expressing a moral epiphany with a mission statement about his industry's dishonesty.
0: And Jerry Maguire, one we've been having all we have on the list for a long time now. Uh, this was for me. This was Pete Cruz seeing him as a sports agent, at the top of his game. Uh, great script by Cameron Crowe, who I've always been a huge fan of. Uh, So to be covering this movie finally is a treat uh, because this is one of my all-time favorite 90s films.
1: Yeah, man, it's a classic. And like you said, Pete Cruz, we get in this movie. We talk about the different genres of this film. I mean, it's a rom-com movie. Uh, a sales movie and a sports movie wrapped all into one. Uh, you know, the sports being the backdrop of the film, the first 30 minutes being a sales movie, then the rest of it, uh, essentially a love story.
0: Yeah, I, I, I see where it sets the ground in the sales world, but it, then it, it it does seamlessly go back and forth between the different genres, almost effortlessly. I mean, just mm-hmm. a brilliant script by Cameron Crowe. Yeah, the, what
1: I love about the writing is it captures the world of pro sports, so much so that after watching it, you feel like, uh, an expert uh, uh, about it. Like uh, after you watch Bull Durham, you know, you feel like you're an expert on uh, minor league baseball. You know, they're all they're all uh, uh, working towards uh, going to the show. You know, it's the same kind of thing here. He puts you so far into the bowels of this world that you feel like you understand it at the end of the movie.
0: Yeah, which is something at the time when I first saw this movie. I mean, you know, maybe you don't think about it, but you know that that side of the the, the sports uh, business exists, but you only see the the players out there so to yeah, peek behind the curtain, see how the sausage is made, so to speak. I uh, was eye opening, even if that's not how it really works. It was cool to see it, uh, and it it captured my attention.
1: Yeah, and it all started with Cameron Crowe, writer director. This was his third feature film. It made his feature film debut in nineteen eighty nine with the instant eighties classic "Say Anything." You know, mm. uh, John Cusack, boombox overhead. Uh, I mean that's uh, it hit the zeitgeist uh, bullseye when it came out, and then after McGuire, you know, he had a pretty strong follow-up, almost famous in 2000. That's probably your favorite Cameron Crowe movie.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, just because I mean there was the personal element, him being a beat writer for Rolling Stone magazine, uh, you know that, that that inspiration of that time, following the fictitious band uh yeah i love that i hope we do that movie it's very good
1: yeah man we're gonna do it and then after almost famous in 2001 vanilla sky reteamed with tom cruise which that's one of those movies that the first time i saw it i didn't really get it or like it but the more i saw it the more it kind of grows on me and now i watch it i I really like it
0: it's weird it's a weird movie
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's a good film though I, i enjoy it um and then after Vanilla Sky, sadly, Cameron Crowe kind of dropped off a little bit. Uh, Elizabethtown in 2005, that was a dud. Uh, we Bought a Zoo in 2011, that was a dud. And Aloha in 2015, that was a dud. And I don't know if he's in movie jail now, because we haven't had anything from him since. But, man, Cameron Crowe, if you're out there, you're a great fil- filmmaker. Uh, we, we got to get some more Cameron Crowe movies. Uh, he's made too many good films to just stop making them all together.
0: Yeah. I mean, what... Sets this film apart, I believe, is the script. I mean, you know, you talk about um, great writing can do a lot to help out a movie. And I feel like in lesser hands with a lesser script uh, that Jerry Maguire would not we wouldn't be covered on the on the podcast today. Uh, that That went a long way to help it.
1: Well, the script it was a, that was a long process. Uh, he reunited with James L. Brooks, uh, the producer, uh, most known from The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, and the script was inspired from a few different places. Uh, the first being Jeffrey Katzenberg in 1991 when he wrote a interoffice memo to other Disney employees.
0: Uh, was it a memo or was it a mission statement? <laughs> but I know I, I did come across that as well, and I think the jury's still out as far as if how much that inspired Cameron Crow*. I mean. I think he maybe had the idea for the story. Uh, the memo, by the way, uh, was written because of Katzenberg's feelings toward the blockbuster business nature of Hollywood after Dick Tracy came out. Um, mm. Yeah, um, so he uh, felt that it was they they were chasing event films instead of stories, and you know, talking mm-hmm. about how they were trying to hit profits and blah blah blah. So it was very much in the same vein as Jerry Maguire. Uh, eventually, Katzenberg. He d- he didn't get fired within the week like McGuire did, but he did leave within three years to form DreamWorks with a couple of young up-and-comers named uh, Steven Spielberg and David Geffen. <laughs> so <laughs> he did end up getting away from Disney to go do that
1: to run the business the way he wanted to run it, because obviously Disney ended up doing what he was complaining about in the uh, in the mission statement.
0: Yeah, it's I would say it's even gotten worse uh, since then. Um, the inspiration though that I came across. That was the strongest for the at least the initial idea of the story, was when he saw a picture of Agent Gary Wichard and NFL star Brian Bosworth of the Boz and looked and said, "Hey, I wonder what the relationship between these two sides of the business—the brains and the brawn—I wonder, I wonder what that is like."
1: Yeah, it was that. It was an amalgam of things. Uh, I mean, this keep in mind, Crow rewrote this over twenty times. The, the script was worked on over several years. Uh, it was that. It was also you know why he was researching the sports agency. Side of business, uh, he met Lee Steinberg, who was a huge agent at the time, and it was Lee Steinberg who opened the doors for Cameron Crowe that really gave him the insight into uh, how the agent, how sports agents worked, how the, the the business side of sports worked, and that really informed the film. Uh, he. Not only helped with the information, and but connecting him to the right people, he got him access to the NFL draft, gave him access to his client list, introduced him to an up and coming agent, Drew Rosenhaus, who now is the real life super agent Arless. I mean, he's a huge agent. He's he's who you think of when you think of a sports agent as Drew Rosenhaus nowadays.
0: Yeah, I, I'd read that. Um it's mainly based on Lee Steinberg, like you said, but there's, he met with so many agents and, and, and kind of plucked from personalities, experiences, stories that I think nowadays I'd read that a lot of sports agents were like, Oh yeah, I'm the inspiration for such and such character. Oh yeah. That's me. Because I think there's a certain amount of ego that goes with being a sports agent that they all think, and they all want that story to be about them. Uh, but, uh, realistically it's probably like you said, a mixture of a, uh, of a few.
1: Yeah. Well that informed the Bob sugar, Jerry McGuire business side of things. But then he also had Tim McDonald uh, who was an NFL player at the time and met with him about his free upcoming free agency. That kind of informed the Rod Tidwell story. And it was Tim McDonald was, it was like he was a free agent for the first time in five years. And Cameron Crowe asked him like, what, what do you want to uh, out of your next contract? Like, what are you looking for? And he just looked at him and he goes, show me the money. And that's where the line came from.
0: Those moments like that, the, that, that great writing is often the result of a real life experience or a real story and connecting. Now, like you said, this story was rewritten 20 times. I, I read that the first draft that he has submitted to James L. Brooks was 140 pages And that Brooke said it was, quote, a lot of story with little plot, which is a little bit of a jab. (laughs) So uh, and and from there, it evolved over five years. So that's where you get in. Okay, let me Mm. let me pluck this little storyline out of here. Let me learn these characters, mold it, craft it. Um, uh, You take the time to curate uh, this great idea.
1: Yep. And the results speak for themselves. Production of the film shooting lasted four months on more than 70 locations in Los Angeles uh, and uh, the uh, Sony Studios in Culver City, as well as they shot some in uh, Tempe and uh, Phoenix, Arizona.
0: Yeah, TriStar Pictures gave them a little bit of a budget to work with. I mean, for 1996, um, that's a lot of uh, shooting locations. There's a lot of you got you got you got Cruz, you got Crow. I mean, you're going to be able to to go to those many that many sites.
1: Well, not only that, but th- you're not kidding about the budget. Uh, the SMI set was Stage 23 at Sony Studios. It was the entire sound stage was the SMI office building. And uh, Cameron Crowe was inspired by Billy Wilder's the uh, the, the apartment, uh, mm. the office yeah. atmosphere in that movie. Uh, very much wanted to recreate that for the SMI uh, offices.
0: And I don't even think about that. You know, you watch that and you're like, oh, you don't think that this is a soundstage. You feel like you're in an actual that they just like rented out a sports agency or built it inside of an existing building like that instead of a soundstage.
1: I think I think I think it does its part in showing like the the world moves fast and it's an important place and that can't be better personified than after the McGuire meltdown that there's not what two seconds later the phones everyone just starts going right back to work and the the, the world just keeps on moving.
0: <laughs> Which is <laughs> probably the most unbelievable part of that scene is that during his entire rant that no phones rang at all, you know, and then an agency office yeah. like that
1: <laughs> and they instantly started ringing again. Once. Yeah that's, yeah, that's a good point. And they also shot at Sun Devil Stadium in Arizona and th- not, man, so that was a this might be Sun Devil Stadium's uh, peak year. We know it was Tom Cruise's peak year in 96. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sun Devil Stadium had the Super Bowl between the Cowboys and Steelers and then Jerry Maguire. Wow. Hey man, Cameron Crowe, we look talk about the talent in front of the camera. We're going to talk about that more. But the talent behind the camera, I have to mention D.P. Januzzi, Kaminsky, um, and I hope I said that right, Uh, he was the D.P. for Steven Spielberg on Schindler's List, just coming off the Oscar win.
0: Oh, wow. I did not i didn't know this the same people Why? and you
1: could see the contrast where you know there was obviously black and white in schindler's list you all the bright colors i mean it's literally a polar opposite the way <laughs> jerry Maguire's lit compared to schindler's list
0: yeah probably uh, making up for being on the other end of the spectrum yeah
1: and one of the things you have to mention because back then this wasn't commonplace in a movie as much as it is today was product placement a reebok paid 1.5 million for an in-movie commercial Somewhat unheard of. I mean, it stuff like that happened here and there, you know. what you had like the Pepsi and Rookie of the Year, but uh, it, it was a few and far between.
0: Yeah, it's a little more overt now in films. What I what I appreciated seeing was like uh, you know the NFL, of course, you know gave, gave the permission to license um, the league, the teams, and whatnot. But you look at the the uniforms, like you got the old Russell Athletic uniforms. I mean, this is pre-Reebok pre-nike days well, the shoulder
1: pads were huge yeah
0: i mean just just a flashback in time to see how the the, the brands and the sponsorships back then
1: that game was a lot more violent because that's when you know, he worried about rod tidwell going over the middle i mean that's not even an issue nowadays <laughs> Well, i wouldn't say that i <laughs> uh, not not like it was man no defensive bats can't hit a defenseless receiver back in the 90s they fucking hit them all the time nah, that's man. fair you're right and some classic movies that uh crow references in jerry Maguire: uh breakfast at tiffany's the terminator a nightmare on elm street cocktail uh a few good men and uh, necessary roughness the uh, 91
0: cult classic cocktail the Razzie uh, worst picture winner on the uh, for the year, of the previous episode, "Who Framed Roger Rabbit," we just did,
1: but probably one of the best Razzie Worst Picture winners ever.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a cult classic for sure.
1: Because most of the Razzie winners uh, are, are, are
0: ass, are straight ass. Yeah, straight. Yeah. All right. Music of the film. I want to call out that the score before we get into the, the actual the songs that most people uh, associate with the film. The score was done by Nancy Wilson of Heart, who was uh, Cameron Crowe's wife uh, at the time. Uh, So Hmm. it's kind of cool that they have a connection there, but the great songs in the film, of course, uh, chosen, I'm sure a lot by Cameron Crowe and his ingenious selection of back catalogs of songs that he has. Uh, I don't want to step on uh, the best scenes so too much at least. So I will I will just call out a couple here that I really like. One you have to mention is "Secret Garden" by Bruce Springsteen.
1: That is the song you ha- you mentioned. That is the first song you
0: mentioned. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's others that you have to mention, which are that's top right. of the list. It's near. The and top had a of huge list. music video. I mean, it's the song people personify with the movie. Which I think Bruce didn't release it that year. I think he released it like the next year or a couple of years later, and it shot to the billboard. So it's just like, I think it was a, a special inclusion on the soundtrack. It could could be wrong about that, but I'm wanting to say that that's how it was. Well, you know,
1: that song is used in powerful moments, and particularly the nonverbal cues with uh, Renee Zellweger as Dorothy when the camera's really tight on her, and we see the moments where she's essentially falling in love with Tom Cruise's Jerry Maguire, the way that he interacts with her son. I mean, that, that song does so so much to really move the heart uh, this movie uh, you feel it at times and the, the Springsteen song plays a big part in, in driving that forward
0: it, it does I mean and for them to play it during that that date scene between the two of them where you are starting to get that emotional connection uh, it, there's a lot of subtext of just uh, putting you in that moment um, and I was I was actually misspoke it was originally released in 1995 by Springsteen. I mean, it's a Springsteen song but it didn't do a ton then. they he re-released it in 97 after it was in Jerry Maguire and it went up to number 19 on the Billboard mm. Hot 100 if, it, if that, if That's that a shows powerful you song, man how effective it was in the film that he it really
1: it, it very much is I i, I that, that song affects me. I think it's a, a beautiful song.
0: It's a fantastic soundtrack. Go listen to it.
1: A song you got to mention is Ricky Lee Jones' The Horses, which plays when uh, Dorothy drops Jerry off at the airport with her son, and they look out and they see that other couple uh, with a son, and they're kissing, and they they, they they more or less kind of visualizing the life that they want with that couple. And that's actually Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger's uh, stand-ins. Oh really? Gotta give some love to the stand-ins.
0: Well, I think it's, it's smart to use the stand-ins because she's you know almost looking at that as like a mirror of what she wants. Uh, so to use them, it's like her kind of seeing her dream of what she's envisioning.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think of another scene, uh, maybe using greater effect, uh, very much like that in The Sopranos, when Christopher Moltisanti stops at the gas station and he sees that family They're uh struggling to get by and pay, pay for things and he kind of sees that's probably what's going to happen if i go into witness protection kind of like oh yeah nice. so it's got kind of the same kind of scene structurally but used for a different effect
0: yeah look at you pulling the heartfelt moments up and loving those that's usually my bag there as far yeah, as so
1: mr jerry Maguire is all yeah. heart man
0: and the soundtrack just backs that up i mean the fact that all, a lot of these could double as a lot of favorite or best scenes i think speaks to how effectively the music is used
1: We'll move on to the stars of the picture.
0: All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for
2: my close-up.
1: 110 speaking roles in the movie, three Oscar winners, and one nominee. So we'll start at the top of the call sheet with Tom Cruise as Jerry Maguire, three-time Oscar nominee and all, uh, was nominated for this role. And, man, at the time this came out, it was his 19th movie, but he was the biggest movie star on the planet. His most-known role to this day and even then was Top Gun, But, I mean, 96, this is what he produced and starred in his first movie in Mission Impossible, which launched a franchise that is still running to this day, and Jerry Maguire, his last Best Lead Actor Oscar nomination. So you could say as great as Tom Cruise's career has been, 96 was his career year.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, 96 Mission Impossible released while he was still working on the set of or shooting parts of Jerry Maguire – um, and like he showed up the next day and was like very kind and was just like, okay, we're working on Jerry Maguire though, let's let's move on. So he was focused um and I, uh, he seems like a very focused individual to begin with but
1: uh yeah yeah i mean his, his intensity is rather legendary but it's interesting though like uh you know it makes me think of the the 93 with spielberg the year of box office and uh, uh oscar glory for 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 spielberg and, and somewhat similar here with cruise in 96 I and mean, cruise didn't win the oscar but big box office film with mission impossible and then he had the award uh the awards the the critical acclaim with mcguire
0: yeah it's one of those where it's like you wanted him to win you were kind of rooting. For for
1: him. What I think is interesting looking and we talk about how decorated Cruz's career has been this is the only rom-com that he's done.
0: <laughs> That's why it's shut. It, That's a rom-com. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, but man, I mean, he's done all genres, but I mean, he doesn't do a lot of Love stories. And, you know, when you think about it, this is one of his quintessential Tom Cruise movies, even though he's not running, uh, sprinting and doing action like we associate him with today. But in terms of the Tom Cruise experience, Jerry Maguire very much encapsulates that.
0: Well, you do get the contractually obligated Tom Cruise run near the end of the film. After the game, he's running to the airport to get back to Zoe. That's
1: right. Yeah, Yeah. we got to get him running. Yeah. But I mean, he should play more characters like this. I mean, this is the side of Cruise we don't see. He's got a lot of depth that he just doesn't utilize. He's just kind of on autopilot doing these action movies.
0: Well, I, I mean you know the mission impossible you mentioned he still does his own stunts and those i mean the man is a is is a maniac for 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 those types of action roles and uh the ethan hunt uh, especially but you know you also have to look at what he's a box office star and typically the money makers what the studios are going to pay and what they want is those types of roles that he that he Sure. Draws.
1: Yeah. Don't make a lot of dramas uh, like Jerry Maguire nowadays.
0: Worth mentioning the original choice for Jerry Maguire was Tom Hanks. That's who Cameron Crowe wanted for the role. Uh, There was, um, you know, because the script was in, you know, being worked on for so long, I think uh, Hanks, uh, although wanted to do it, he ended up going on to do a more of a passion project for him in that thing. You do fantastic film. We have... To yeah, his directorial debut. Have to do that one, yeah. It's It's such such a good movie. Yeah, but
1: in 1996, though, keep in mind, we talk about how big of a to- star Tom Cruise was. Tom Hanks was a two-time Oscar winner in the last three years. First actor to do it since Spencer Tracy in like 60-something years. Dude, Tom Hanks was like Oscar royalty. Uh, that guy was the most revered actor. He's like the now. Everybody wanted him for their, their their passion project.
0: We were so close to getting uh, Hanks as McGuire. Would have been a been, been an interesting Toms. take on it. Yeah, the nineties
1: were the time. Yeah, the days of the Tom's and Denzel and Julia.
0: I would read that Woody Harrelson was offered the part or was in the running for it. I uh, turned it down. I don't know how much truth there is to that. Um, but Tom Cruise was actually on Crow's radar after, uh, Crow was working on uh, fast times at Ridgemont high and had overheard Jennifer, Jason Lee, and Sean Penn talking about this, uh, cool, uh, actor in Chicago that was working on a movie of his own. Uh, of course it was Tom Cruise. Uh, and I think the movie was risky business that he was working on. Uh, and then, but after say anything came out, Tom Cruise actually called Cameron Crow and said, Hey, I'd, I'd love to work with you sometime. So he had that in the back of his mind and caught Cruz right as he was entering peak stardom.
1: Yeah, and the rest is history. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. as Rod Tidwell won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for playing this role. His 14th film, it's what he's most known for. It was my introduction to Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, Even though before this, he was in Boys in the Hood in 91, A Few Good Men in 92, and then Outbreak in 95. But, you know, I I didn't see those then. Uh, This... This was the first time I'd ever seen Cubby Gooding Jr. And, man, he did not disappoint. He was just sensational in this part.
0: Yeah, I mean, pitch perfect. Uh, I know that's a cliche to say, but it, it, when you talk about the Rod Tidwell, the pitch matters. I mean, that just unbridled, um, I don't know what you would say, this um, level of enthusiasm, this positivity, energetic positivity. That man, you have he brought to, so much energy to it, yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, so he was the first, first to audition for the role uh Cameron crow like you said you mentioned boys in the hood uh he's crow, crow saw him in that and felt was so enamored by the performance felt he crushed it he brought him into audition for this and it just set the standard and no one else no one beat him
1: i just think he had the right take on the character and you can see that uh and he, he man he was fully committed i uh, trained with the arizona cardinals for the football sequences so uh, oh wow getting junior yeah he, <laughs> he did did what it took
0: yeah um Jamie Foxx was considered for the role. He I mean, would later
1: was, go on to play a football player on any given Sunday. True. That's very good.
0: Uh, and and you know, I think I'd read a, in an article or interview that J- Jamie and Cuba are friends, and they would kind of tease each other. Like Jamie Foxx was like, hey, that, that was supposed to be my Oscar in <laughs> <And> Cuba, <Yeah. laughs> Cuba. But on the flip side of that, Cuba had wanted to work with uh, – he wanted the part of Django in Django Unchained. And to work with Tarantino so bad that he filmed his own screen test and sent it to Tarantino, showing him uh, riding horses and how he was very he, he, how skilled he was and how perfect he was for the part. And you know, obviously it didn't end up that way. But they kind of get on each other back and forth for not getting. He, those
1: moves. He, he was he was on the list. It's probably his Great Escape story. You know, it was him in the Georges, the three Georges.
2: Which three
0: Georges? Papard and cares Oh man, yeah.
1: That's got to hurt.
0: <laughs> You're talking about uh once upon a time in Hollywood. Reference? Yeah, I know. It's
1: probably his. Uh, he was probably on the short list to play it. But, you know, the role was originally written for Will Smith and Will Smith passed on it. And then uh, Jamie Foxx ultimately won the role.
0: And then two other minor what ifs Damon Wayans and McKelty Williamson uh, mm. who was in Heat and most oh. notably Bubba Gump.
1: McKelty. Yeah, baby. Yeah, I, I, that's a uh, man. He's fucking good. So, dude, he was in Fences recently. He's so good. Such a good actor. Two-time Oscar winner Renee Zellweger as Dorothy Boyd. Man, this was her breakout. It was her eighth movie, but this is what made her a star. It launched her. Uh, before this, Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 94 with, <laughs> with McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember <laughs> that. Uh, Reality Bites in 94 with Jim Carrey. And then Love in a 45 also in 94. That was uh, Love in a 45 was uh, considered the Pulp Fiction ripoff of the day. One of the better ones. And she was in uh, Empire Records in 95. So she was on the rise. But Dorothy Boyd just, uh, it was uh, it was a perfect marriage of actor and character, and she just perfectly embodied Dorothy Boyd. And that is why. Easy to pick Cruz, easy to pick Gooding Jr. No, 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 no. The MVP is fucking Renee Zellweger. And she is the man, I've said this, heart of the movie. Yeah. Uh, she elevates it to another level. She's so likable it's this fine balance of having the vulnerability, uh, but the movie isn't what it is without that performance. And the fact that she wasn't nominated is just because she wasn't a name. I'm telling you, that performance, if she had a little more cachet and the studio got behind her and marketed her for an Oscar, she would have been nominated right along with Gooding Jr. uh, and Cruz. Hell, the same argument could be made for Regina King. She's fantastic as well.
0: Going into it, you mentioned those other films she's done, but let's be real. I mean, for all, for the... the the spotlight this film had on it she was essentially an unknown being cast into this role here mm-hmm. um uh, so much so to call out some what ifs for you marissa tomei bridget fonda winona Ryder, cameron diaz I, uma thurman i mean the list goes on and on it was a who's who of who could have been in this film the closest i would say that i would read was connie Britton who had a very, very good audition and almost got the part over Zellweger. She'd have been awesome, too.
1: Hey, at the end of the day, the right actor, they end up getting the role they're supposed to get. So, uh, the perfect Dorothy Boyd. Agreed. Oscar winner and Emmy winner, Regina King as Marcy Tidwell. Her sixth movie. uh, I first saw her in Friday. (laughs) Which was like
0: a, a, a year before uh, this. I mean,
1: yeah, you don't even yeah. think about it. yeah, Dude, she's in so many big movies before this. Like, it's crazy how she's been so good for so long. So, Boys in the Hood in 91 with Cuba. Uh, yeah. uh, so, this is their second film together. Poetic Justice in 93. Higher Learning in 95. Love that movie. Great and then movie. Friday, 95, which we covered just a couple seasons ago. So, I man, she she's, was in a lot of big movies all before McGuire.
0: Yeah, they were lucky to land her in the Marcy role because I mean, really... It helps sell that relationship between Rod and Marcy so much to have uh, an, an actor as talented as she is um, in that part. And a testament to her, I read that she was pregnant
1: during filming. So I can't imagine how difficult that must have been.
0: Oh, a little method acting there because the Marcy character was pregnant too. Yeah. So.
1: Oh, they played up in that. Yeah. yeah. And that now, I mean, Regina King, you could say she's on top of her game just as much as anyone else in this cast. I mean, she's never been better now. I mean, not only is she a star now, a decorated actor, but a producer and a director.
0: Yeah, I mean, she you're expanding into a lot. She's one of the best in the industry right now.
1: Co-stars of Jerry Maguire, Kelly Preston as Avery Bishop, and Jay Moore as Bob Sugar. Probably the closest thing to the antagonist in the movie, uh, those two
0: characters. Oh, yeah. I love uh, Moore as, I love both of them. I mean, yeah, Preston comes. Oh, Preston's
1: in. Preston's good. She's throwing she's throwing ninety six mile per hour fastball. Yeah,
0: I mean if for every scene she chews up the scene, I mean she's just so good. I mean because most of the scenes that she's in, Cruz is speechless. He, he just like. Uh, just re- she, facial. Man, she
1: built a character like she's yes, she, yes. she got a point of view and all those scenes. Like she's just so hilarious and like kind of in a funny kinky way. And like the sex scene and the first scene we see her, but even how she kind of denies the breakup, like it's all coming from a point of view. It's consistent throughout. Preston is just uh man. She's such a great actress. Very good. Yeah. And Bonnie hunt as Laurel Boyd, Dorothy's oh, yeah. sister, uh, her second movie with Cruz. she, came up to Tom and was like oh it's nice to work with you again and he didn't remember her from Rain Man remember she played the waitress in Rain Man Uh, but yeah second movie with Cruz and man Bonnie Hunt she is the best bench actor in this movie (laughs) she She's very good. Uh, her line <laughs> readings are provide the comic relief we so desperately need. It just it's how this movie hits on so many different levels. Is the is the performances we get from the actors uh executing a, a, a brilliant
0: script? Uh, and she you just buy her as the older sister to Dorothy and just trying to help guide her out of making bad decisions when she's probably made a lot of those same ones herself early in life. So uh oh man, she, there
1: was there was like cutaways uh, of her improv and where she's like, hey, I am only a year older than my sister. Like she's kind of hitting on Tom Cruise in some of the outtakes. <laughs> so yeah, th- those good. are really funny. Yeah. 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 Oh, like, man, and she even does that Remember in the first scene when she's like, uh, when, when he hugs her and she's like, Oh no, thank you. Like th- she's definitely <laughs> playing on that a little bit. It's, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah.
0: yeah, right.
1: Jerry O'Connell as Frank Cushman. Cush, man. Cush, 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 Cush. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting tired of myself already, man. Eric Stoltz as Ethan Valerie. Uh, his second movie with Crowe, he was in Say Anything. Uh, but he's like the, uh, remember he throws the bachelor party for Cruz. Yeah, I mean, scene, a very brief scenes. part. Yeah, a brief part. But you got to mention him. Come on, it's Eric Stoltz. Lucy Liu is the former girlfriend uh, in the Burn Book video, which you would not even, if Don't she even wasn't recognize Lucy recognize her. She wasn't Lucy Liu, we wouldn't even be talking about it. It's more or less a glorified extra part. But because she became Lucy Lou, now you're like, holy shit, it's Lucy Lou. Wow. Liu. Because huh. yeah. I mean, it's it's literally like she's in like one frame for two seconds. It's not like she's given anything to do. And Bo Bridges as Matt Cushman, Cushman's dad, uncredited. Yeah, it's very good. I mean, he these these actors. Crow Crow knocked it out of the park with the casting.
0: Very compelling characters that, that you are memorable, even though they don't do they don't have a lot of lines, not in a lot of scenes, but they're memorable in the ones they're in. One other one, Donald Logue plays one of the other agents. He's just like, how much time do you give him oh, a week? You know, he's just like yeah. clapping his hands, he's like giving him a thumbs up. He's like, yeah, I love it. Oh, good stuff, right in the heart. Uh, Donald <laughs> Logue, great actor. <laughs>
1: And, of course, like we talked about because of Crows' Connections with Steinberg, lots of cameos uh, in the sports industry, in the entertainment industry, uh, 37 major personalities incorporated to create authenticity in the Jerry Maguire movie. Uh, Just a couple of the big football ones, Frank Gifford, Al Michaels, and Dan Diodorf. They actually recreated a Monday Night Football telecast. Uh, Mel Kuyper, Drew Rosenhaus, who we mentioned, Mike Tirico, and then some real-life athletes at the time, uh, Drew Bledsoe, Troy Aikman,
0: and Warren Moon. Uh, the, 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 you got to mention Roy Firestone in there, also doing that as well. Mm. Uh, with with the interview show, he did yet another cameo. Uh, but I want to call out the musicians that were that 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 were actors in this film, and that's going back to Crow's connection. Uh, you know, from Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. I'd say the strongest one being is from when he was a beat writer for that followed the Eagles. Uh That he got he upped get Glenn Fry to play the owner of the Arizona Cardinals, Dennis Wilburn, who you know Jerry goes back and forth with a lot. That's you know none other than Glenn Fry.
1: See the owner is he the general manager because the agent wouldn't be negotiating uh, with the owner. It'd be like the general. Fair manager.
0: enough. I, okay, maybe. Well, so the inspiration for that character was Jim Ursay.
1: Hmm, interesting.
0: So I think there are some owners that do get more involved in that. So I, I think it was the Jerry owner. Jones. I could, yeah, yeah, exactly. I could be wrong. Maybe he was owner slash GM. I, okay. don't, I don't
1: know. All right, fair enough.
0: And then uh, one minor role, very small role, Jerry Cantrell, the <laughs> singer-songwriter-guitarist from Allison Chains, was the copy mat, the Kinko's type, the, the guy, the, he was the employee there, Gotta hang your Jerry. balls
1: out there, man. Exactly, <laughs> that's, become yeah. Great,
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and Crowe <laughs> said that he wanted to put him in that role just so he could make him wear preppy clothes, <laughs> just to give him a hard time for that. So, oh, that's great. All right, stats and accolades of Jerry Maguire. Release date was December thirteenth, nineteen ninety-six. On a budget of fifty million dollars, opening weekend it would pull in seventeen million. It would stay in the top five at the box office for 10 straight weeks. Uh, However, in its opening week, and I thought it was funny, it was, again, number one, the movie that it beat out was Mars Attacks, which, (laughs) cult classic, but I mean, it was no comparison. It was 17 million for first place. Mars Attacks only had like 9 million. So domestically, uh, it would go on to pull in 153.9 million. Worldwide, $273.5 million. So, yeah, it was a hit.
1: Yeah, you're a hit when you're in the top five uh, box office grosses for the year, which it was. It ranked number five for 1996. This was also the fifth consecutive Tom Cruise movie to gross $100 million, Oh wow. a new record at the time.
0: Yeah, that was like the standard back then. Like if you could, for a while, actually— if if domestically, hundred million. Yeah, domestically, you make a hundred million. Like that was like okay, a bona fide blockbuster hit. hit. Now yeah. movies budgets
1: are two hundred million, and you have to make a billion to be a hit. Then you get a franchise. It's just crazy how it's expanded to the level it has. Rated R, which given the box office grosses, that's crazy. A lot of movies uh, with these type of rec- box office receipts are you know in the PG thirteen realm.
0: That's fair. Yeah.
1: Zero body count. No one dies in Jerry Maguire, but we got nineteen f bombs. With a running time of two hours and 19 minutes, Uh, there are some stretches uh, that it goes a little long, but I mean, that's part of the movie. All in all, uh, a lot of the scenes have a very high replay value uh, and they're very enjoyable. Particularly, I feel like the first hour has a very high replay value. The, The first 30 minutes you can watch over and over and over again. I mean, there's just sections of this movie that you can just watch a lot.
0: The movie accomplishes so much with every single scene. You pretty much have the the deevolution of a of a character within the first ten minutes of him having this this moment, something you would typically see like in the second or third act of the film. you get in the first ten minutes when the credits are still going over yeah. <laughs> with the narration. it's it's um it's wild how it was structured. Uh, but even though it's a little long, it's worth it.
1: Scores of the film Rotten Tomatoes eighty three percent Cinema Score A and a Metacritic of seventy seven so good reviews uh, the critics praised the performances by the actors and the script uh, the filmmaking the writing the direction but the script in particular got a lot of glory for uh, Cameron Crowe Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars uh, Todd McCarthy Kenneth Turin of uh, all gave a good review so uh, the critics uh, audiences they loved the picture
0: this one from the get go it was it was it's a hit respected yes in that way
1: awards of the film one oscar win for best supporting actor Cuba gooding jr uh, and four other nominations uh, including best picture and best actor for tom cruise The biggest snub, as we've already talked about, uh, is Renee Zellweger. Absolutely should have been nominated. Uh, Another 25 wins and 37 nominations. Uh, Tom Cruise did win the uh, Golden Globe for Best Actor.
0: Yeah, you know, I feel like this should have been Cruise's year to win. I would have liked to have seen that just because we haven't. With an action star, you just don't get a lot of of opportunities like that. I I think maybe he should have won or been nominated for Tropic Thunder. Yeah,
1: well, Born on the Fourth of July is... I mean, Cruz is great in this, but uh, in terms of acting performances, man, he really goes for it in, in, in that, which was his first Oscar nomination. His last one being Magnolia. He's, only been, on, he's been nominated three times. Magnolia was in a 2000, a P- the supporting movie. Hat. Yeah, so yeah, he hasn't been nominated in over 20 years. He's just not making those kind of movies now.
0: Music of 1996, Grammy record of the year was Change the World by Eric Clapton. Uh, love that Clapton song. Yeah. There are a lot of great Clapton songs, but for him to be able to to get some acclaim back then was nice Um, that
1: was his coronation that's where like it all kind of came together for him Uh, as a solo
0: artist yes absolutely Uh, that was uh, Helfer for the Billboard Hot 100 would only reach uh, number 19 um, on that year end list number one unfortunately I gotta do it Warren I hate it I'm sorry is Macarena the Bayside Boys mix by Los Del Rio one of my kids favorites
1: you mentioned that before on the show it's not the first time
0: yeah, I mean, '96. That song, from what I've read, was it was insane how big that song was back then.
1: Movies in 1996, top of the box office: number one, Independence Day. Yeah. yeah. Number two, Twister. Disaster films really fucking Damn. popular. Uh, number fine. three, The Heat. Number four, Mission Impossible, also starring Tom Cruise. Uh, number six, Ransom with Mel Gibson, and number
0: eight, The Rock. Oh, man, a great year for, uh, for for action films, especially.
1: Yeah. Hey, there a lot of big movies, but it's not surprising Independence Day was the number one movie. You remember the Super Bowl commercial before it came out? Man, everyone was super hyped for Independence Day. You knew that was going to be the number one. It was, one, uh, yeah,
0: right? Roland Emmerich. Yeah, you remember that? Film, yeah,
1: yeah, that shot of the shadow, like uh, racing over the moon at a fast pace and just an enormous spaceship.
0: Yeah, man, that uh, was a hype film. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it was great marketing. Uh, Oscar Best Picture winner, The English Patient. Razzie Worst Picture winner, Striptease.
0: See, there we go. We're, we're going back. You know, We talked yeah, about cocktail.
1: A, yeah, yeah, that's a worthy Razzie. It's a terrible movie. It terrible. is a waste of Demi Moore. Still a movie star. And uh, Burt Reynolds is in it. Uh, he's funny as shit in the movie, even though he it's terrible. He is He does make you <laughs> laugh so a few times. Uh, it, makes, it makes it squish in between my toes. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: He himself like a Vaseline or something. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, he's an idiot. Uh, TV in
1: 1996, top scripted shows, uh, the Nielsen ratings. Uh, number one, ER. Number two, Seinfeld. Number three, Suddenly Susan. And number four, Friends. Emmy Best Comedy Series winner, Frasier. And it was the first comedy series to win four consecutive years. Since then, uh, what Modern Family's done at Veep. I mean, there's a short list now, but it was the first and Emmy Best Drama Series winner, Law & Order, in its seventh season. Movie ticket price in 1996 was $4.42. Adjusted for inflation, $7.00. Events of the year, Prince Charles and Diana divorce. The Nintendo 64 is released. Duke Nukem 3D is also released. Damn, I'm looking looking good. good. Yeah, I was...
0: (laughs) I'm ready to kick ass and chew bubblegum.
1: Yeah, that's right. A lot of gum. (laughs) <laughs> and the most popular toy of the day the tickle me elmo doll
0: oh my gosh those things wow. yeah
1: ibm's deep blue defeated chess champion gary kasparov for the first time and the mad cow disease hit britain
0: all right let's move on to our best scenes and lines from jerry Maguire. it was difficult for me to narrow these down so i'm gonna pass it off to you to yeah kick things off with your mm. runner up for best scene, Warren.
1: First 30 minutes, so rewatchable. Uh, my runner up best scene, I'm taking a page from your playbook. It's the opening scene. Oh, you get I it? I mean, right yeah. out of the credits, man. Right out of the credits. We are sucked in. We got a shot of Earth. We got the great voiceover by Cruz. So, this
3: is the world, and there are almost six billion people on it. When I was a kid, there were three. It's hard to keep up. That's better. That's America. See, America still sets the tone for the world. In Indiana, Clark Hod, 13, the best point guard in the country. Last week, he scored 100 points in a single game. Erica Sorge, you'll see her in the next Olympics. In Seattle, Dallas Molloy, 16. Her lawsuit helped pave the way for women boxers everywhere. She's picturing Reg's boyfriend right now. In Indio, California, Art Stallings. Check out what pure joy looks like. In Odessa, Texas, the great Frank Cushman. This April, twenty-six teams will be falling all over themselves to sign him in the next NFL draft. He's my client, my most important client.
2: What are you gonna try? What are you gonna concentrate? You wanna be a champion? Believe.
3: Me. There's genius everywhere, but until they turn pro, it's like popcorn in the pan. Some pop...
2: Darn it! What the heck, Coach? You know, Swann, what the- oh, don't know
3: Some don't. I'm the guy you don't usually see. I'm the one behind the
0: scenes. I'm the sports agent. He's such a great voiceover actor. I, I think underappreciated in that regard.
1: Yeah, it's terrific, and uh, it sets the tone for the movie, and after just that, f- what, that opening monologue... Uh,
0: we're on board. We're in for the whole movie. Get the great song by The Who, Magic Bus. Uh, I mean, just the cadence of that. It's rhythmic and how it, it just sucks you in. So I love that choice uh, for runner-up. Mine was uh, somewhat of a heartfelt moment, but also a comedic moment. Maybe it's from having kids. I don't know. I was a sucker for it. It's when Jerry is a little, you know, a little inebriated. Ray wakes up and they have a little chat together.
3: I don't know, it's just my whole life. I've been trying to talk. I mean, really, talk. But no one wants to listen to me. You know that feeling? You, they just look at you. They just Let's really... go
2: right now. Let's go to the zoo.
3: Ready to the zoo? You know, fucking zoo's closed, right?
1: <laughs> you said fuck. Yeah, I did. I... Uh
3: like I
1: won't tell yeah that's pretty terrific uh and it's uh you know we talk about how great the actors were in stars of the picture but we get we've got to give a shout out to the kid actor Jonathan Lipnicki I mean he was adorable in this movie and he won a lot of hearts at the time people were uh, thinking he was gonna be the next what the Dakota Fanning or something
0: yeah five years old I mean a charming kid I mean you just man he he is still working today um and just a lot of uh a, a lot of projects that I've seen that I didn't recognize but I mean he's he's but he's been quite a bit um, since then. All right, what about your your winner for Best Scene?
1: My winner, it's probably the most iconic parodied scene in the film. It's McGuire's Meltdown.
3: Well, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not going to do what you all think I'm going to do, which is just flip out! Well, let me just just say, as I ease out of the office I helped build, I'm sorry, but it's a fact that there is such a thing as manners, a way of treating people.
0: Okay, I have that as an honorable mention. little surprised that you have that as your winner, but I I can take
1: it. Dude, uh, that how many? time we see an office meltdown in what half a dozen, <laughs> what dozen movies, uh, you're like fucking a Jerry Maguire.
0: Yeah, half baked and, and flip out. And...
2: Don't worry, I'm not gonna do what everyone thinks I'm gonna do. Flip out,
1: man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's not the only one. There has been a handful of movies uh, that, that have uh, that have used that scene, and everyone knows what it comes from.
3: Who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? Who's coming with me besides Flipper here? This is embarrassing.
0: My winner is another scene that I would say has been parodied a lot. Uh, it's after Jerry gets fired. He comes back to the office. It's DEFCON 1. He's trying to keep his clients on the phone. Uh, but it's the conversation between him and Rod to keep him on the hook.
2: I'm from Arizona, Jerry. I broke Arizona records. Rod. I went to Arizona State. Rod. I'm a son, devil, man. And now you want Arizona dollars. Exactly. I understand
3: I'm, what you're Jerry, saying,
2: Jerry, I'm Rod. sitting here with an air problem. I got ants going up and down my hallway. Run, my run, brother run, T.P.'s run, room run. is flooded with water. Look at this. Run. We got a flood in T.P.'s room, Jerry. Hang on. Say hello to Jerry Maguire. Rod, listen. Hello, brother Maguire. L-O-TV. Jerry, my house is falling apart. Nobody's looking out for Rod Well, We don't know where we're gonna live in a year, and I'm supposed to be a superstar, man. Rod,
3: I need a decision from you. Are you in or are you out?
1: Yeah, you get the iconic line, and it's the it's the exchange. It's more or less where uh, Jerry retains his only client.
0: Yeah, and there's just so many great moments in that, though. Like, you see the the, the phone board lit up with all the people trying to take phone calls, and then by the time he's finally able to get off with Rod, no one's waiting for him. This is His life, his career is resting with Rod Tidwell because of his bravado and keeping him on the the phone, and he's so desperate. Well, it wasn't
1: all Rod Tidwell at the time because he still thought he had Cushman. That's true, that's uh, true. But
0: the desperation, though, was there. All right, uh, what honorable mentions did you have?
1: Honorable mention, got to be when McGuire's fired at lunch.
4: Hey. Hey, buddy.
3: You okay? Fine. What's up? Came here to let you go. Pardon me? Came here to fire you, Jerry.
1: It's real. You should say something
0: between him and Bob Sugar yeah yep, love that that's very good
1: Uh, second honorable mention is uh, is the McGuire typing the manuscript manifest scene he's uh, he's pacing through the room he's like doing weird handstands against the wall I mean he's got so much energy it's kind of inspiring and it's him cooking up uh, the mission statement that would uh, ultimately derail his life it, 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 in the long run and prove it to his road to redemption. But uh, that, that just, it comes right off the opening scene and it just sucks right in.
0: Mm, yes. Which uh, again, brilliant writing to have that at the beginning. That you see that evolution of that character. That's when it starts is when this, uh, this moment comes typically would, would come later. Um, uh, that, that was, that was very good. Um, uh, did you have any others?
1: Now, my last honorable mention was uh, Jerry and Rod on the phone. Which you, what well, was your winner?
0: Ah, okay. Um, I had a couple more. Um, one is the end of the film, heartfelt moment. It's the post-game media swarm to to Rod when he comes out, and you have got all the the, the the photography and everything happening. Uh, but he just he's looking for for Jerry, and you can see great acting by by Cruz. He's crying, he's tearing up, and they have this embrace. It's a it, it, it gives you chills. The moment is earned at that point. And uh, it's a very powerful scene.
3: You did it. You did it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then you got the comedic touch by sugar as uh, well. His client's like, I wish we had that kind of relationship. <laughs>
0: he tries to hug him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. Last one I had here. It's another moment between Jerry and Rod when, Jerry is just, again a moment of desperation He's trying to keep Rod on He's trying to help him get signed And he's he's just trying so hard To change the type of player The type of attitude that Rod has And failing spectacularly Yeah
1: great scene You got the classic high energy crews uh, What kicking the wall I mean <laughs> surprised he, he broke his foot on the Mission Impossible Jumping between <laughs> rooftops i surprised he didn't break his foot Kicking the wall
2: Do your job Don't you tell me to dance Fine. Hey Hey, fuck, an athlete. I am not an entertainer. Fuck. These are the ABCs of me, baby. I do not dance, and I Fight. do not start preseason without a contract. Fine, fine. Fine. Jerry, talk to me. Breathe, breathe, Jerry.
3: I am out here for you. You don't know what it's like to be me out here for you. It is an up at dawn pride swallowing siege that I will never fully tell you about. Okay.
0: All right. We'll move on to our best lines from the film. Uh, Highly quotable. And I I feel bad because there's so many great lines within great scenes. Um, uh, So it's it's hard to to narrow it down. uh, There's too many to mention. Uh, Let's start with your runner up though.
1: My runner-up.
3: I will not rest until I have you holding a Coke, wearing your own shoe, playing a Sega game, featuring you while singing your own song in a new commercial, starring you, broadcast during the Super Bowl in a game that you are winning, and I will not sleep until that happens. What I do best. Fifteen minutes to call me back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just a great salesperson. Mo- <laughs> great, yeah.
1: cl- great sales moment in the movie. You know I yeah. love those.
0: Well, you have that moment like that where it just just boom, boom, firing. That's it's like okay, it's a great representation of someone who's at the top of their game. All right, uh, my heartfelt moment uh, is my runner-up. It was almost my winner. Uh, one of the most iconic from the film between Jerry and Dorothy. You complete me.
3: And I just had... Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello.
1: Yeah, one of the uh, one of the go-to's. That's one of the more well-known ones for sure. And this movie's got a handful, like four or five that people have still quote today.
0: And you can almost look at them as two separate ones, but because they're back-to-back, I mean, it's a response. One is a response to the other. It's the exchange itself that is my runner-up. Uh, all right, what was your winner?
2: Here it is.
0: Show me the money. That was also my winner.
2: <laughs> what? Did we? just become best friends yup <laughs> <laughs> yo yeah. to I took hey. a long over frost, but still got a hey. money I'm to friend Jerry does that make you feel good just to say that say it with me one time Jerry Jerry, you the money oh no no you can do you better than that Jerry I want you to say it with you with me and him, brother hey I got Bob Shook on the other line buddy.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Show you the money. That's not so good. Show me the money.
2: Show me the money. Yeah. Louder. Show me the money. That's it, brother. But you got to yell that shit. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. Show me the money. the black man. I love black people. I love black people. You, my motherfucker! What you gonna do, Jerry? me the ah! Congratulations, you're still my agent.
1: Yeah, it's gotta be, man. It's the one you use most in life. It's the one everyone says the most and it's most associated. It all comes from Jerry Maguire.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, you could call me lazy that my best line was within my best scene, but you know what? Fuck it, I don't care. That's how much I love that scene. I can pull both of them from there.
1: Well no, I had the scene as an honorable mention, so uh yeah. surprising you ended up having both as your winner though.
0: Well, I, yeah, I just love it that much. I mean, actually on my paper here, I just have show me the money written twice for for one for each one there. So it's just that good. I mean, that's your introduction to Tidwell and that energy that I mean, Cuba very deserving of the the, the Oscar that he got. Um so it's just man, a uh, great moment, great line. Okay, uh honorable mentions. Uh what did you have here? Uh, help me help you
1: help me help
3: you help me help you help me help you
1: which people also say now yeah Uh, that's what's kind of great about a lot of these lines is people say them in real life
0: the usage rate is very high for these yeah
1: honorable mentions i had you had me at hello and you complete me you cover those in your runner-up but the line you complete me has been used by both the Marvel and DC Cinematic Universes. Joker <laughs> says it to Batman <laughs> in the Dark Knight. And why do you want to kill me?
3: <laughs> I don't, don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, 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 you, you complete me.
1: And Iron Man, Tony Stark,
0: says it to Pepper Potts in Iron Man 2.
2: Completely.
0: it's breached that many layers of pop culture where it can it can be referenced um, referenced in so many ways in other mediums other forms of pop culture yeah
1: another honorable mention is well all the late great dickie fox quotes great life advice i love those uh one i'll just kind of give as my honorable mention is the
3: unless you love everybody you can't sell anybody
0: uh, i love that that is very good yeah And then my last audible mention,
1: it's probably one of the funniest is Bob Sugar on the phone when he's uh, in the race with Jerry for clients. And he's like, I
3: haven't seen you since we were with that stripper in Laguna Beach. you remember her name? I do. It was April. That's my job. Remember the names of skanks that you bang on the road. That's what I do. It's not about the money. I do it all for you.
1: <laughs> it's just, I, I love those sales. Uh, well, agentisms lines.
0: things. Yeah. yeah is, well, yeah. you
1: get that, you know, like Wall Street, Wolf of Wall Street, Boiler Room. I mean, there's mm-hmm. the, there's that tradition of those fun scenes of people selling. And, and I love the spirit Glenn of that. Ross, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. I uh, just had a couple here. One by Ray, just such a cute little line of when he's uh, talking to Jerry and he's telling him facts, and he says,
4: "Jerry, do you know the human head weighs eight pounds?"
0: He says in two different scenes too. He He says it in the
1: car, and then he says it when he sees him at night. Uh, He says it again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it just as a you have a five and a six year old, and just like I mean, they come to me with those great facts like that all the time. Just like oh, well, okay, you got a point there, little man. And then the last one uh, that I had here was by Bonnie Hunt's uh, Laurel character uh, when she tells her sister,
3: Take it easy. Don't cry at the beginning of it, Dave. Yeah, Just cry at
1: the end like I do. <laughs> oh, man. Got to give Bonnie Hunt some love on the lines. Yeah. yeah. Great
0: delivery. Moving on to Judge Bob's recasting court, where Warren and I recast the film with today's stars, all rise for the Honorable Judge Bob, presiding.
4: Gentlemen. You may be seated. Recasting Court is now in session. No easy way to put it, I absolutely love this movie and I expect nothing but greatness out of these castings. Jesus. Love the notes. <laughs> no pressure. I'm really excited about this arguments coming up. Show me the money. We're going to hear castings for Bob Sugar, Laurel Boyd, Marcy Tidwell, Rod Tidwell, Dorothy Boyd, and Jerry Maguire. The ball is still in your court, my friend. Who do you have for Bob Sugar?
0: Bob Sugar was actually the easiest recasting for me. There's this innate um, smarminess. He's just an asshole. I mean, if he was on the other side of the coin, you would want to root for him. But just because the way that Jay Moore plays him, just smarmy asshole. I don't know of any other way to put it. So this actor jumped into my head immediately. Love him. Nick Kroll. Warren.
4: Damn it. Big shoes to fill. Really
1: good. Thank you. Really good. Thank you. I still don't know how Jay J- got that part. Uh, I've never seen him better in anything. He's come nowhere close to being that good in any other movie. Uh, not that difficult to recast. I feel like it's a part a lot of actors could play. The first thing you think of is a comedian actor, yeah. which is what I did. Yeah. Top of that list of uh, actor comedians, Bill Burr. My Ooh, personal favorite. Love it. My favorite stand-up Uh He's one of the few comedians that actually make me laugh out loud. I love Bill Burr. He is a really good actor, and to be honest, honest uh he he isn't quite right age-wise he's a little older but that's okay for this i mean the main purpose of the character is for the comedic uh, moments that he brings in but also being the adversary to our uh uh protagonist
0: bill burr's a great asshole i love that i mean he's advanced i love him in breaking bad the mandalorian he he's great yeah also one of my favorite stand-ups and you're right age isn't a factor i mean nick kroll's a Older than how Jay Moore uh, was when he played it. So I think it's more you have to have the rival agent in that mentality that that type of dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I think we were both aligned there as far as comedy asshole comedian or a comedian that can play an asshole, I should say. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I do love that choice. It's great.
4: This is a character that sets the tone for Jerry Maguire's change because obviously Bob Sugar is who Jerry Maguire was. And I think that when you bounce that off of the two characters, you have to have that smarminess because you have to have that reflection of Bob Sugar, you know, Jerry was his idol, right? Mm -hmm. He's got to fire his idol. So there's got to be that, you know, reflection of I, I became you and now you're this totally different person. And I... I love both of these guys. Well done, all around. Nick Kroll was a nice grab. Thank
1: you. Well, yeah, to be fair, he's more specifically suited. I, Bill Burr's great at playing angry, but I think Nick Kroll is the better asshole. Thank you.
0: Yeah, rarely do I get a, a an insp- moment of inspiration where I just that, that perfect name just pops in my head. And 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 like you said, one, I think there's a lot of comedic actors that could do it. I feel he would just be the best at it.
4: I love that casting. Well done. So, who do you have for uh, Laurel Boyd?
0: Laura Boyd was a little more challenging uh, I mean Bonnie Hunt in the film is pitch perfect in every scene a very magnetic very dry older sister you know the, the, that it, that's a tough role to recast um uh, one of the more difficult ones for me for this movie uh, however I, I think of somebody that you can't you're not gonna get something over on they've 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 educated in the ways of the world they've seen it all they've heard it all they're a little jaded. Uh, And this person fit that category for me, Lizzie Kaplan. I would say most known for, she was in uh, True Blood, uh, Mean Girls. uh, It's probably one of her most famous roles, been in lots of stuff.
1: Lizzie Kaplan. We're both pulling from the Mean Girls pool because for my Laurel Boyd, I went with Amanda Seyfried. Oh, Wow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's funny. <laughs>
1: and I got to tell you, I was where you were a little more specifically on the money with Nick Kroll. I think I got you here because her trying to tell the weather with her boobs, the comedic timing there is bar to not. She would be absolutely fantastic uh, in the Laura Boyd part, just because it does require that comedic ability, which she does have. And again, big shoes to feel like you said, body hunt is terrific. I watched the outtakes. She improved a lot of that. <laughs> She's so funny. Didn't know that. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I love Lizzie Kaplan, but uh, I go with Amanda here.
0: Okay. I, I, I mean, you, you apparently had somebody in mind. So uh, I, I couldn't imagine Amanda Seyfried at first. Um, I, I mean, she's a great actress, but I didn't even think about the comedic part of the Mean Girls. I, I'm still going to s- stick with my Lizzie Kaplan here as far as um the dryness, the kind of that dry sense of humor type thing. I mean, Lizzie
1: but, could be have a run at Dorothy Boyd. Man. I mean, Possibly she's really turned yeah. into a leading lady. I love both
4: of these. I think Amanda Seyfried is a better fit here, so Warren's going to take this one. Yes. Oh.
0: Fuck yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. Honestly, I can't see it at first. The more I think about it, the more I like it. So I'll give you that. Yeah,
1: she's a really good actress. She right? is. She's very good. All right. So Marcy Tidwell,
4: come on. Mm is is Marcy Marcy is Rod's lightning pole. This is the the freaking woman that keeps him standing upright and you can't walk away from this and not just adore this woman. Warren who do you have cast for Marcy Tidwell?
1: Uh, again, a, a movie with a lot of big shoes to fill. I mean, you got four fucking movie stars in one movie here. Okay, I mean, Re- Re- Regina King wasn't a movie star at the time, but she, I mean, God, the start of she brought to that role just a power, of personality, so much energy, and was just so invested in the character. She elevates the movie. I mean, you could she was in so many good movies back then. Just man, just a, a terrific actress. So uh, again, big shoes to fill, but I, I think I came close tessa thompson
0: mm, okay
1: i mean when you look at her star power the range that she has i and and when you see who my uh my jerry mcguire is it's it's a really good uh it's it's a really good uh matchup
0: i like that i'm a huge fan of tessa thompson um i, I may be a little uh there be, be some recency bias here i recently just watched uh, lovecraft country which is a fantastic show very disappointed got canceled uh and i i you know Regina King, and despite like,
1: getting eighteen Emmy nominations, I know right. <laughs> Regina King,
0: enough like enough can't be said about how fantastic she is. Electric in the part, uh, you know, the, she completes Rod Tidwell's that 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 character. I mean, they are very much uh, two two pieces of, of the same pie. I thought of Journey Smollett, uh, who is an alum from Lovecraft Country, like I said. Hmm. If you see her in that, she's got the the energy, the attitude, that level that. You need out of the Marcy Tidwell character. Um, she's also been in uh, what the Birds of Prey, the Harley Quinn movie. She's
1: yeah, she's she's just she's really, she's going places. She's, yeah, going, she's places. going places. Yeah, but I think you know the Regina Keynes is so direct as Marcy Tidwell, and you need that type of actress who is. And Tessa Thompson is just fantastic. The type of behavior she does, she's really good at being direct and and be, and being able to be come off powerful. I think she and not easy to say would would uh, would be able to match that uh, in, in the in, in the Marcy role.
0: I, I would say watch if you haven't seen Lovecraft Country, J- Journey Smollett is very much the same way there.
4: Well, you know when I saw these and especially after hearing the arguments, I'm I'm a little surprised. I saw Journey Smollett and I thought, wow, this has got to be Warren's casting from the Reach category. And I love it. I love everything about it. I'm shocked, Phil. Well done, well done. Thank you, thank you. Wow. I I,
0: I do like the Tessa Thompson. I do want to say, I, and I, I hate to even I, I I'm going to say low hanging fruit only because I feel like she is a very good fit for any type of role like this. She is such. She's the top of her game. You could plug her in anywhere and she'd be great. So it was a good, 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 good choice for that.
4: This gentleman, should we have a tie, will be the tiebreaker. All right. I, like I that. love Rod Tidwell. I love this guy, right? I mean, a big enough personality to outdo Cush. <laughs> Phil, who do you have cast as Rod Tidwell?
0: Uh, more of the recency bias from and reuniting the couple from Lovecraft Country. I went with Jonathan Majors, not a household name, not uh, he's a He's approaching Are you the Just top. picking off the one show you're watching right
1: now? Come yeah, on, man. You gotta lose more creativity than that. I, Jesus. I, guilty
0: as charged. Yeah. I, I just recently watched it. But I feel like he would be so good in it. I watched him uh recently. He hosted SNL. He was in Loki. Uh like I said, Lovecraft Country. Just a fantastic up and comer. And I feel like you're gonna see him on a, on a podium uh, accepting some awards in the near future. Uh he's uh he's he's my rod.
4: All right. Big shoes to fill there, Warren. Who's your Rod Tidwell?
0: Yeah, um, like
1: Cuba Gooding Jr. At the time, he'd been in a lot of good movies already. I went with someone a little more established. Uh, Jonathan Majors is—he, uh, I mean, he's been propelled into the uh, stardom's orbit. He's a great actor, but uh, for my Rod Tidwell. I haven't used him yet, and I got to use him before the season's over. He's too good of an actor. Michael B. F. And Jordan, dude. Uh, and here, not only this, okay? You know how oh. we believe Daniel Craig is a real secret agent? You believe Michael B. Jordan is an NFL athlete. Yeah. Sorry. Nah, uh, he, 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 he plays
0: the part. He fulfills, the, fulfills uh, the look. That's very good. Man, love him.
4: Oh. I'll be honest. Um, I had to Google some measurements on these guys to find out which one was the uh, NFL guy. Sneaky fan fact here. Jonathan Majors is huge. (laughs) He is so ripped up and shredded. Did not know that. At the same time, he's no Michael B. Jordan. I mean, um, good God.
0: Michael B. Jordan looks like he
4: trains Odo Beckham. Like, I mean... He looks like
1: he can run a 4240, three forty. Like the guy Creed
0: Black Panther, yeah, he <laughs> yeah. And
1: keep in mind the point of Rod Tidwell, remember when Jerry Maguire's negotiating with him, he's like, "Listen, Jerry, I want a prototypical wide receiver. I don't want a 5'11, 185 pound, uh high he's a shrimp in the locker room." Yeah. yeah, he's a shrimp. That's kind of the point is that he's a larger-than-life character. He's he's small for his uh, for his job. Ah, be- well-timed
4: Michael B Jordan. I mean, I like it. I like it.
1: So Jack Trevin in Speed. I haven't used him in a while. He's
0: one of those like we're as we're approaching the last, so I think four or five episodes of the season. He's one of those you're, you're saving. Yeah. So I, I I like that.
4: All right. Moving on to Dorothy Boyd. The pain behind the eyes. What an amazing job in the initial casting of this and the acting job put on. It's hard to even think. It's almost one of those roles that you hate to have to recast because it was done so perfectly the first yeah. time. That being said, bring it if you got it,
1: Warren. Who's your Dorothy Boyd? Dorothy Boyd, uh, the heart of the movie. Uh, you have to have an actress that has uh, the, that has the the vulnerability and the likability. I mean, the audience falls in love with her along with Jerry McGuire. I thought of a, of an actress. She's an up and comer, has a bright future. In the same. Kind of place of her career, uh, and you think about this launched Renee Zellweger, uh, Margaret Qualley. Mm. Once upon a time in Hollywood, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, if uh, Tarantino saw something, um, I mean, come on.
0: You know, we talk about up and coming actors: so Jonathan Majors, Margaret Qualley, another fine actor that will be uh, a household name soon enough. Um,
1: yeah, she had an Emmy nomination, I believe, a year or two ago, uh, right after Once Upon a Time. So she's she's a force.
0: I think I saw her first in in the Nice Guys with Gosling, which oh yeah, shit, <laughs> I love that movie. I hope we do it very soon. It's uh, I think it just became eligible this year to do on the podcast. Um, but um, as much as I like that choice for my Dorothy, I went with Shailene Woodley. I think of mm. she played a single mother in Big Little Lies. I mean, a very another uh, fine actor there, uh, that has a lot of talent, uh, enough to carry the heart of the movie, all the qualities that you said you need in your Dorothy Boyd that Renee Zellweger executed so well. Um, so tough decision judge. I I don't envy you, but my choice is uh, Shailene Woodley.
4: Just want to mention from my seat, this is a beautiful spot for a Blake Lively. I would (laughs) love to see uh, Zendaya almost in this. Like
0: we've casted her like four times this season, man. We can't
4: keep doing it.
1: There are Zendaya rules for a reason. Blake Lively's a little too, a little probably a little too old. Uh, This is a secretary at, at the beginning of her career. She's in her mid twenties.
4: The most complicated thing about Renee Zellweger is to have a attractive a sexiness. And that pain behind the eyes, which is so crucial to do for Dorothy Boyd, because she has to be something that Jerry Maguire's seeking, you know, something about her that he's attracted to, but she's got a lot going on uh, in her personal life. And I mean, there's just, it's unbelievable. This, this character is, is just uh, so well portrayed. Margaret Qualley is going to take this one.
0: Oh my God. I highly disagree with that, man. Warren. Keep it
1: rolling. Yeah. Power Hour. Who is your Jerry Maguire? There's only like six or seven actors that you could recast in this role today. Um, They have to have this. I mean, there has to be high star wattage uh, with where they are right now. Tom Cruise at the peak of his powers in 96. Biggest movie star on the planet. Uh, You have to have someone that's right there, has that potential. Uh, and no, I didn't go to the Rock. I mean, although <laughs> I know you were thinking, <laughs> we were wrong. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. Of I was uh we were doing Rock for Jerry, to, right?
0: John, uh, John David Washington for Rod Tidwell. Just do ballers. The-
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I ended up going with the incomparable,
0: the one and only Ryan Reynolds. Ah, uh, love it. I also went with Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> oh no, shit.
2: I come
0: best friends yep you're right there's just a, a select group of actors that could portray uh, carry the movie i mean it's jerry Maguire. i mean it's a titular character uh it, the story follows him my my initial choice i must admit was chris pine however another lethal weapon recasting came back to bite me in the ass he was my martin mm. riggs on uh on um Lethal Weapon. So I couldn't use mm, him. Good use. Yeah. So, But Ryan Reynolds. Good pull. I like it. We, we both used actors in Lethal Weapon 2 episode
1: we wanted to use for this one. What, Jonah Hill and now... Uh, Chris Pine, yeah.
0: Now, yeah.
1: So
4: initially I'm sitting here like, you know, this is Chris Pine. Like, this is his role. So I'm glad you mentioned it. But God bless Ryan Reynolds. Jesus Christ. I love that guy.
0: Yeah, You have to have somebody that's a shark um, and that can portray that. I mean... Reynolds has got the charisma. He can carry. I mean, he's one of the biggest. You're easily
1: gonna believe he's the, one of the top agents in the industry. Absolutely. Like it's don't even like we do crews like Reynolds, he comes off as the, the, the best of his industry in anything.
4: I'll tell you this much. All they have to do to fill seats at every AMC across the nation is air the breakup between McGuire and Sugar at the cafe. <laughs> <laughs> between Ryan Reynolds and Nick Crow, oh, yeah. Like, if oh, that is so your freaking oh, <laughs> so that's so your trailer, I'm there, dude. It's on. Like, you don't have to know anything else about the movie. Just, just air those two jabbing each other during the breakup at the cafe. And I mean, uh, you have a box office smash right there. Warren, well done.
1: Yeah, barely. Barely. Victory! Recasting Court is adjourned. And we'll close out the episode discussing the legacy of Jerry Maguire. A great love story, great uh, sports movie. And like I said, first 30 minutes, I almost feel like you gotta throw a little sales genre in there a little bit just because there's not that many sales movies. So... (laughs) I kind of want to I want to sandwich that subgenre in here. But, um, you know, Crowe said he set out to make a movie that says something about the world we live in, about life. And Jerry Maguire is a human experience. I feel like it's a film we can all relate with the universal themes of, you know, redemption, a lost soul, finding your way. And, of course, ultimately love.
0: Yeah, it's packaged in this sports movie mixed genre with a romantic some comedic elements in there but at the end of the day it is a is a a human story it's about an individual's growth and their journey uh to get to be to the type of person they want to be um it's just uh there's just a lot of elements that make it that uh surrounded in these genres
1: yeah, the success through failure, you know, b- being able to, to, to come out the other end, which, he, you know, the character is fortunate at the end of the day to, to get that.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of failure from, from pretty much from the get go. <laughs> it's And just uh, seeing the success at the end, though, is all that much more gratifying because of it.
1: And looking at the impact on pop culture, it spawned pop culture quotes. We talked about that in Best Lines, but, you know, of course, show me the money. Uh, you had me at hello, you complete me, help me help you. All those have kind of carried into to life that a lot of people use. It also increased interest significantly in the Asian sports business. A lot of college graduates started pursuing careers in that industry that hadn't before.
0: Yeah, and it's not surprising. I mean, that they people would want to be. like, oh, I'm going to be like this. So,
1: yeah. A lot of cruise movies had that impact. What Top Gun Top had Gun, that yeah, in aviation. Say. And the same
0: thing with the Ray Bands. It seems yeah. like uh, if Cruise is in the
1: movie, people want to be like Tom Cruise.
0: When it comes to doing something like that, you don't see a pathway to it. A lot of times, you don't know enough about the industry. So to to, to watch it, like I think you made the point earlier, Warren. You feel like you know something about it. Um, to bring that back um, into real life, you feel like, okay, that's that's a path that I can d- go down because I feel like I've learned a little bit about it watching this film. Uh, and plus, I want to be like Tom Cruise, yeah.
1: I want to be, I want to be like Tom. Pa, huh?
0: Nah, nah.
1: Pop Culture Connections 714. Uh, it was spoofed and referenced in uh, just a handful of movies here. Half Bait, which we mentioned, that's probably one of the more well-known spoofing the, the McGuire meltdown. Uh, a Knight of the Roxbury, SNL, Shallow Hal, uh, Men in Black Two, Mesh stick Men, Team America, Dodgeball, and Shrek the Third.
0: Yeah, so many, a lot. It goes back to the great writing, the quotability of it that it's it's able to be referenced, and within all those seven hundred and whatever references you may, probably a lot of that comes back to two scenes and just a few different quotes.
1: Yeah, and most recently, I have to mention, in 2017, uh, you remember the uh, Football Life documentaries that the uh, NFL films would do? Oh, yeah, They uh, They had those. Uh, two of them come out for the careers of Rod Tidwell and Frank Cushman. <laughs> 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 I didn't see those. Oh, my God. I have to watch them.
0: That's very good. Oh, my gosh. So, like, they treated him like a real. Yeah, 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 yeah. Document. Because at this oh point,
1: you know, Tidwell's probably retired unless, you know, he's on the uh, the TB12 diet. Then he's, you know, he's, he's still playing at like oh 50. Yeah.
0: That's very good. Wow. <laughs> Props to the NFL for, for, because I guess what, 90, when did you say that that came out?
1: 96. That was 21 years later. So, it speaks to the staying power of McGuire. Uh, and it's probably the closest thing we've had to a sequel. I mean, you know, when you look at the franchise, Cameron Crowe, uh, Uh, They haven't really done anything uh, up till now, but he did announce that uh, the sequel story details uh, in early 2021 uh, and that the story would follow Rod and Marcy Tidwell. So it would shift away from McGuire.
0: Little bit of backstory on that. I did read that article. It was in a Collider interview back in, I think with February of 2021, like you said. Uh, However, that has not been confirmed. He has had a lot of people come to him pitching TV show ideas saying, okay, hey, let's make a tv show out of jerry Maguire, and he said well it wouldn't follow jerry it would follow rod and marcy and then he said they never return his phone calls <laughs> so i don't think <laughs> tv execs want that i think it'd be a cool story yeah uh, so i think
1: Cameron Crow's behind it i mean if as long as he's involved i i on. I'm, I'm on board
0: yeah so there's no official sequel in the works i think he would maybe would like to do it but there's nothing in development
1: all time list for Jerry Maguire. It made a couple of AFI list. Uh, American Film Institute's top ten sports movies, ranked number ten. AFI's top one hundred love stories, it ranked number one hundred. And AFI's top one hundred quotes, it got two of them, which is. Wow. I mean, wow. how many movies got two quotes? The top quote, number 25, show me the money, of course. Yeah. And number 52, you had me at hello. And you had me at hello was also uh, made into a 1991 single uh, by Kenny Chesney. And he ended up marrying Renee Zellweger in 2005. It was oh, that's four right. months later.
0: Yeah. Wow. What? <laughs> you
1: got to think, maybe I mean, if someone writes a song of, about you or something you're in. I mean, that's a f- that that that's about as romantic as it gets. It's one way to get someone's attention, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny though, Cameron Crowe talked about this movie and he didn't think show me the money would be the quote that would catch on. He thought the coin phrase of the uh, the Quan. He thought that would really catch on. Mm. I got to get my Quan, And and nobody even says that didn't catch no, on. At
0: all. Yeah, maybe at the time, but you forget about it now watching the movie. Oh yeah, that was something. He did know he had something with show me the money though because while he was working on the film, he tried to get Glenn Fry who mentioned from the eagles played the owner of the gm from the cardinals he said hey why don't you do something for the soundtrack and fry's like no i don't really want to he's like well yeah, you got that acoustic song you used to work on back when i followed." he's like no i don't want to do that however i've got this um inspired by the script i've got this uh eight minute funk song called uh, show me the money uh (laughs) we can work on that you know uh, so he he that he did know that that was, that, that did have some traction. But no, not. I mean,
1: he got goose flesh when he heard uh, Tim McDonald say it. He knew it was something special. But That's why he put it in the to, script. To
0: reach that heights that it has in pop culture and the zeitgeist, I don't think anyone could have predicted
1: that. You can't anticipate that. Yeah. And James Bernadelli of Real View summed it up best when he said, quote, magic on celluloid, fresh, funny, romantic, and upbeat. You'll leave the theater with a smile on your face and perhaps a tear in your eye, unquote.
0: That is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you so much for listening. The Replay Value Podcast is hosted by me, Philip Reinerson, and my brother, Warren Paul. Our recasting judge is Bob Thompson. Produced, edited, and directed by Waldo Pickles Productions, and dedicated to our father, who we have to thank for our love of cinema. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and if you like what you hear, take the time to rate, review, and share with a friend. You can visit us on our website, replayvaluepod.com, and follow us on Twitter at replayvaluepod. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Tuesday, and we'll see you then. Bye!
3: This has been a Waldo Pickles production.